Michelle's going to tell us the page number. What's the page number for that, Michelle? Uh, uh, she's figuring it out herself. 693. 693. Thank you, Michelle. Um, it says 622 and it says 1612. Okay. Good morning, everyone. So um, the Bible reading is from uh, Matthew chapter 16, verses 1, to chapter 16, verse 12. Uh, oh, sorry, yes, 15 verse 1 to 16 verse 12. Yeah. It's on page 693. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honour his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth that is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They're blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull, Jesus asked them? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. 
Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute and many others and laid them at his feet and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? Well, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000, besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. Uh, 16. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, well, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, It's because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the five thousand? And how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000? And how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. That's the end. Well, let's pray before we come and look at this word together. Father, thank you for this time now that we can spend uh, in your word, giving our minds to it, and uh, we pray that you would help us to be responsive and to uh, grow in our love for you as, as we come to terms with how you make yourself known to us in the person of our Lord Jesus uh, in these pages of scripture. And we pray for these things in his name. Amen. <coughs> well, if you notice that from time to time, people really let slip what's on their minds. 
Have you ever had those intriguing moments where you let your guard down for a little while and occasionally you say something that you you wouldn't really like to have said, except that you've um, it's just popped out, really, hasn't it? That kind of uh, thing that happens we playfully call the Freudian slip, based on the idea that our unguarded words are the things that seem to really reveal who we are. Now, you'd have to talk to some of the psychiatrists or psychologists later on to see if really Freud hit the nail on the head there. But a few years ago, I witnessed one of these Freudian slips live on the TV, the TV, when I sat and I watched a man in a suit stand up in the front of a group of people at a press conference. And he was speaking about a new commercial deal that would be such a great thing for our company. Our company. Oh, really? Who's ever heard of a company? And, of course, with a quick recovery, he went, I mean, it'll be a great thing for our country. But it was too late, wasn't it? The cat was out of the bag, and you could really see that what was on his mind and heart was it was going to be a good thing for his company. And so he was uh, seen for his thoughts, for what they were. I don't know if it was going to be a good thing for our country or not, but it seemed that he was hopeful for his company. What about you? Have you checked your heart recently? What are the things that are dear to you, that are on your minds and on your hearts? Well, in Matthew chapter 15, we get a bit of an introduction to uh, what's important to the Pharisees. We seem these people are hung up on traditions and customs, and they seem to value them more than the very commands of God. But Jesus is setting them straight, and he says you can't, Let God's commands play second fiddle. We'll pick that up in uh, 15 verse 1. Some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honour his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Well, it seems that they uh, knew the system in those days and they could find loopholes in their systems just as people can find loopholes in our tax system. Uh, we don't get a whole lot of detail about what's exactly happened here for these, for these people who are saying that I'll, uh, I'll dedicate something to God so that I don't actually have to look after mum and dad. Uh, Matthew's probably writing to Jews and they might have been aware of what's going on, but we're sort of left out in the cold a bit. Either way, it seems that uh, they get to look after themselves, but they're not going to be looking after their parents, probably when their parents are in their old age. Here we see that their commands, uh, their traditions rather, become the things that are, are very dear to them. Uh, They don't want to obey the commands of God. Well, why is it that their traditions are so important to them? 
Well, presumably it's because they actually don't want to look after their mother or father. That's the Pharisees' problem. They actually don't want to obey the commands of God. And so they invent little ways to get around it. And honouring their parents seems to be a big problem for them. But what are the things that you would like to wriggle out of when it comes to obeying God? I know people who work in software companies, that's a good sound of a baby there, it's always good to have the kids in church. (laughs) I know people who've um, worked in companies where they have the same computer system at work that they'd like to use at home, sometimes uh, it doesn't seem to bother the non-Christians just to take the same software and use it and copy it. But for the Christians, they'd love to be able to wriggle out of that theft and just, you know, get the same software, but it costs them. They've got to buy the stuff. I have a friend who uh, wanted to buy a WRX car from the people across the road. You can be quiet too, Justine. (laughs) And uh, the trouble was this guy had become a Christian. And so this WRX car that he wanted to get the engine out of, unfortunately he knew that most of it was stolen. And so he, he just come to Christ and decided, well, that's it, it's going to cost me now. I can't just wriggle out. I mean, he may have tried to be a Pharisee and decided, well, you know, maybe the engine hasn't been stolen, uh, even if the door handles have, but maybe I can just get the engine. But if we want to obey God's commands, it's sometimes going to cost us. But other people, like the Pharisees, are going to look to use ways to wriggle out. But why is it that these um, Pharisees are obsessed with ritual hand-washing anyway? This is not just talking about you know, using some of that nice gel that we can rub on our hands to make sure our hands are sterile before we eat a sandwich or something like that. Uh, the parallel passage in Mark tells us that the Pharisees have taken a, a custom of ceremonial washings, something that the Old Testament law didn't hand down to everybody. Uh, the Jews who served in the temple, the priests, they did have purity laws which they had to uphold. But these Pharisees are trying to democratise those laws and sort of say that everybody's got to do a a ceremonial washing. My question is, why are they so hung up about drumming up more rules to do with uh, purity? Well, it seems to be that they're they're obsessed with things uh, on the outside to shape up their hearts. They like to be big on stipulating about the food laws and ceremonially washed hands. But Jesus, he's actually pushing a different wheelbarrow. He's actually starting to play down uh, these ceremonial laws about purity that the Old Testament talks about. In fact, it's quite revolutionary, I didn't pronounce that very well, quite revolutionary what Jesus is actually introducing here in verse 11. Have a look at verse 11. Verse 10, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean. Well, they'd be thinking, well, then what about the laws about foods which are clean or unclean? This is Jesus' challenging those food laws. But what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean or unacceptable to God. Now, the food laws in and of themselves were okay. The the people of God were to be a separate people from the nations around them. They weren't to go and follow the other nations' idols. And by keeping strict food laws, that actually helped God's people remain as a separate people. As well as that, some of the food laws seemed to be about uh, 
purity and, and remaining holy. And so some of the types of food that they weren't to eat were creatures that seemed to be ones that ate meat. So birds of prey they weren't to eat. They weren't to eat things with claws like cats or dogs. Things that ate meat they, they were forbidden to eat. And it was all partly bound up with them remaining a separate people. But when Jesus came, he's actually coming to do the job of bringing a complete salvation that means it'll go out to all kinds of people so that there will no longer be a distinction between a nation that's somehow clean and and others who aren't. And so as the kingdom's breaking in, as Jesus is bringing in the new covenant, in this very section of scripture, Mark says in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Jesus is bringing in the new covenant. And the reason why Jesus is emphasising these things is he's because he's saying that purity is not so much a matter of um, Old Testament customs anymore. Purity, it's really all about the heart. We see that in uh, 15 verse 15. The disciples say, Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull, Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. These make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean, but eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. Well, like the man uh, in that press conference who talked about a commercial deal being good for the company when he really was concerned about his company, our hearts are the things which, our, our mouths rather, are the things which express what's on our heart. Things like murder, or theft or adultery, these are actions that start with thoughts. And the thoughts are apparent by people's words. And so from the overflow of our mouths, uh, overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak. And it's not just psychiatrists or psychologists who've been the first ones to pick it up. We can see that Jesus is saying, our mouths show what's in our hearts. But what's it going to mean for us to be pure. Well, is it going to mean we're going to need to say things like Hail Mary? I was asked recently whether I say the Hail Mary. And I thought to the guy, I said to him, look, mate, my heart's so bad, I'd have to probably, you know, say that for my whole life to try and do anything, but it still wouldn't do the trick because it's not things on the outside that can clean up the human heart. Instead, we've got to be remembering that Jesus came as the sacrifice for our sins, the complete sacrifice. And as his people, we now need to keep short accounts with God and keep looking at what's in our heart and turning back to God. So what are the areas uh, that you need to look at in your heart? Don't look at the baby. (laughs) Think about what's in your heart. Think about how you treat people. How do you treat the telemarketer that rings you up at mealtime? That poor person who's desperate to stay afloat, are you kind to them? Are you patient with them? Are you gentle? 
Or are you arrogant and rude to them and dismiss them quickly? We can dismiss them in a nice way though, can't we? Well, it's not all about you, is it, and how you're going. I mean, I can tell you now, if you would ask my wife and kids about my shortcomings, they'd be quick to tell you that I have to eat within three hours or I get pretty cranky. Uh, and I'm not that great if I've got lack of sleep either. So watch out this afternoon. <laughs> but I must say, uh, I wish I could tell you this morning that it's all righteous anger too. Uh, unfortunately, God has given me a conscience and I can tell you with all honesty, it's not all righteous anger in my life. What are the things in your heart that you're wrestling with that you need to turn from? I was interested to note that um, in uh, the week that we had mission, there were certain rules about where people would stay to try to make sure that uh, there were people who weren't going to be looking like they're uh, in trouble with sexual immorality. We tried to keep the guys with the guys for the most part. When the billet stayed at places, we tried to make sure that people were above reproach. Now, why is that? Well, presumably it's because we believe in sin. We believe that even sexual temptation is something that's not beyond the scope of this congregation. Uh, and we're taking measures to be serious about that. Our congregation is not so lifeless or sterile that we can't be affected even by sexual temptation. And so we can't put our head in the sand and think that you know, sexual sin is not going to be a problem for us. We need to face it and turn from it when we're tempted. Well, it can be very humbling, can't it, to think about the areas in our lives where we have got shortcomings. But it is still good for us to face those things because it's important for us to remain humble before God and to be grateful for his work of sending his son to die for our sins so that we can be sure that we are right with him. We need to hold on to that. Well, certainly we need to keep thinking about areas in our lives where we can uh, keep short accounts with God and remain pure. But Jesus, we see that uh, he puts his comments into, on purity into action in the next section of the text. Jesus has just finished saying that it's not what comes into our mouths that makes us unclean. Uh, he's not that worried about mixing with the Gentiles. Some people were. They thought if they hung out with the Gentiles, they might have some kind of contact with meat and flesh and blood and they then become ceremonially unclean. Well, that doesn't bother Jesus. He goes to a Gentile area and he speaks with a Gentile lady. It initially looks like things aren't going to be working out very well for this lady who comes to him and begs him to heal her daughter who's possessed with a demon. And Jesus postpones her for a time and says, no, I've come to the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, that is, salvation comes to the Jews before it comes out to the world. And at this stage of the program for Jesus, salvation is coming to the Jews. And we know that that's uh, the way God intended it. God told Abraham that uh, there would be a blessing through the nation of Israel, but then all nations would be blessed. And even within Matthew's Gospel, uh, the other nations aren't forgotten. In uh, chapter 8, verse 11 and 12, this is what Jesus says, I say to you that many will come from the east and west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And so it's not as though the world is forgotten that salvation wouldn't go out. 
But at this stage, it seems salvation is to come to the Jews. Now, when Jesus says uh, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs when he speaks to this lady who's asking for help, uh, these words look a little bit hard, don't they? And in the cold light of the text, it, it does look pretty tough. But we can't see the body language of Jesus in this situation and how he really handled himself, whether he had a, a raised eyebrow perhaps or tongue-in-cheek. I certainly don't think he was playing devil's advocate. That wouldn't be appropriate to talk about Jesus being the devil's advocate, would it? But we can't really see his body language. Uh, and in the, in the text, this, thing's, this is not always possible. I don't know if you've ever noticed that with emails as well sometimes. Uh, when someone writes an email, we don't always pick up the emotion uh, one way or another, whether it's good or bad, from an email. And so we need to talk. But either way, for this lady, uh, she does actually benefit from Jesus' help. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. She uh, humbles herself and Jesus praises her for her great faith. And so here we're getting a, a foretaste of, of Gentiles benefiting from the kingdom of God. But it seems that this reference might also lead us into the next parable. Uh, not so much the parable, but the next news about what Jesus does that's spectacular, his healings and feeding. Matthew's already told us that he's fed 5,000 people, but now we get an account where Jesus heals and feeds 4,000 people. Why is it that he's including this feeding of the 4,000? Well, bread comes up. Jesus said it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs, but, well, he just goes on and feeds 4,000 people with bread. Some commentators think that verse 31 is a reason for us to believe that the 4,000 are possibly even Gentiles. The people praising the God of Israel is an unusual expression. And so what's being thought of here is that the connection between this section with Jesus and the lady at Tyre and Sidon is actually a hint that uh, 4,000 Gentiles might have just been blessed as well. First the children, the 5,000, and then the numbers diminished to 4,000. Perhaps that's the Gentiles. It's not foolproof to say that. It may be Jews, but it could be a hint that the Gentiles are being blessed as well. Either way, in this passage where we're getting a feel for the signs of the times, that things are being revolutionised in Jerusalem and in Judea, that Jesus is changing all of history, and we're seeing that the laws of Moses are fading out and the seeds of the kingdom are being planted. From time to time we need to be reminded ourselves about how majestic and powerful Jesus really is, don't we? He's the one who's greater than Moses, uh, the people were fed in the desert with Moses and here Jesus comes greater than Moses and he feeds the people in the desert as well. Well, we might sometimes forget how powerful and wonderful Jesus is, but these people were confronted with it, weren't they? In fact, the Pharisees were confronted with it and it's always impressive to see that Jesus is not weak in relation to them. He, he's not like someone who can be knocked over with the slap of a wet noodle. He's, he stands his ground, he's got something to say to them. Uh, he tells them when uh, he thinks they're going down the wrong path and there seems to be a bit of tension that builds between Jesus and the Pharisees. And they come to Jesus and ask 
for a sign. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? He's just fed 4,000 people, healed up to number, and they ask for a sign. We'll pick that up in 16 verse 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning today, it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. So they come to Jesus hoping to, for it to be like a sideshow where they, they want someone like you get those clowns or magicians that are hired for birthday parties where they take you know, coloured balls and put them up their sleeves and pull out handkerchiefs and do all kinds of tricks. They think they can just on demand get Jesus to perform a sign. But their relationship's really stretched here. Earlier Jesus has said, don't throw your pearls before swine. You know, these people aren't really interested in what Jesus has got to say. He shakes the dust off his feet and withdraws. He's not that worried about their anti-attitudes towards him. Back in uh, 5 verse 12, the disciples come to Jesus and say, do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this, this comment about the food laws being changed? They were scandalised. But Jesus says, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. It seems that these people don't even have life with God. Leave them, they're blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. And I think at this point Jesus is even winding them up. You know, how many times have you seen a blind person leading a blind person? It doesn't happen, does it? He's having a go at them. He's saying, forget about them. They're, they're going down the wrong track. So he's not, he's not really that worried that he's, he's bothering them. They're asking for a sign and so Jesus says, I'll give you one. I'll give you the sign of Jonah, which uh, earlier in Matthew we found out was just as Jonah was three days in the belly of a fish, Jesus is going to be three days in the belly of the earth. But when he rises again, that'll be the sign for them. And they'll get a very big surprise when they see him raised from the dead. So they'll get their sign. But they're not really that interested in him. Well, what about the signs of our times? The Pharisees didn't seem to appreciate that this was the time of God's favour. This was the time when the lost sheep were going to be found uh, and a foretaste of the greater kingdom to come in the ministry of Jesus. They didn't really get their signs. They didn't really pick up that this was their Messiah to come and so they didn't listen to him. But what about us? Are we aware of the signs of our times? Are we aware that salvation is going out to all the nations? Uh, It's not just going on in the Middle East with our missionaries. Salvation's going on in the community groups and the streets that we're involved in, that we live in. Are we aware that Now's the time for us to actually be engaged with building bridges to people who don't yet trust in the Lord, who haven't yet found salvation from their sin. Well, that's the signs of our times. God's building his church and people are coming to know the Lord. 
It was very exciting, wasn't it, to see the mission team come up. Even the diversity of their ethnic backgrounds showed us that the people of God's no longer just about Jews, it's about all kinds of people. Uh, and the signs of our times is that we should be involved in that mission now as people come to know Christ. Well, the friendship between Jesus and the Pharisees is getting stretched and strained at this point. It's at breaking point. And we can tell that because Jesus starts to warn his disciples about them. We see that in uh, 16, 5 to 12. He warns them about the yeast of the Pharisees. And the disciples, continuing this kind of bready theme that we've had running through this passage, are worried about, is it because we haven't bought any bread? Well, Jesus has just fed 5,000, then 4,000. If things get tough, you know, I'm sure he could come up with some bread for them. But what he's uh, actually referring to is picked up in verse 12. He's referring to the teaching of the Pharisees. Because if their teaching, which is anti-Jesus, starts to mix with the whole population, well, they're going to find that the whole community is pretty much against them. And so he's warning them ahead of time. The question for us is, do we really appreciate that if we stand with Jesus holding on to his teaching, which says that sin is a matter of the heart, and that we're not just good people trying to be better by doing good things, we're actually at odds with a whole lot of people in our community. I keep hearing people say things like, you are good people, act like good people. Okay, and there's no shame in saying that we are capable of doing good things and it's right to do good things. But the thing that I keep on missing out on hearing is, what about when we don't? What about when we do the wrong thing? How are we going to deal with that? Recently I was at a scout presentation day where people were being given awards and scout badges for doing good things. And I think there's no shame in that. But the, the thing that was missing was nobody ever says anything about what are we going to do between us and God when we've done the wrong thing. Well, Jesus is saying that he's come to pay for sins. We've come to face sin and name it for what it is, not to diminish it and say it doesn't matter, but to say it does matter and we need to look at it, turn from it and put our trust in the Lord. So as we stand with Jesus as people who face sin, we've got to realise that there's going to be a whole lot of people who think we're out of touch. We've got this unhealthy obsession with sin and we should just get off it. And they might oppose us for saying that sin matters. But God wants us not to put our head in the sand and think that we can do rituals like say Hail Marys or get enough scout badges for argument's sake to be good enough for God. God wants us to face our sin and to turn from it and put our trust in his Saviour who he's provided that we might live for him and his glory. Well, this week, let's not think about, uh, you know, external washings or doing anything that we can do to be good enough for God. Let's keep on remembering that Jesus has come as our Saviour. We need to put our trust in him and enjoy what he's done for us. Let's pray that God will help us to give glory to him this week. Father, we thank you for this passage today which reminds us that sin can't be dealt with by things outside of us. We can't do anything that's going to take away our sin against you.
But Father, we do want to thank you that Jesus came and that he dealt with our sin once for all by rising, dying and rising for us to give us new life with you. Father, help us to think carefully this week about areas in our lives where we are impure. Help us to face those things and to turn from them. And Father, we pray that you would help us to keep short accounts with you this week and continue to grow as your people who are are the light of the world, your people who are growing in godliness more and more as we get older. Father, we pray that you would help us to do that in our families, in our workplaces, in our community groups and as we relate to each other. We pray that you'd help us to grow, to understand the depth of what Jesus is saying and to enjoy what he's done for us to bring us salvation. We pray for these things in his name. Amen.